Hello and welcome to the College Football Winning Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can find me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. And I am joined, uh, the band is back together here. We have Xavier Trish back from his vacation last week <laughs> of uh, computer breaking down hell. You can find him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. You can find him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. Nick, what is going on, man? We've got the Big Ten here, the most boring uh, Power Five conference of all time, right? Thank you. <laughs> so Xavier, Xavier and I were talking uh, before, and I know he loves the Big Ten. It's his uh. favorite conference. He's very excited <laughs> to uh, talk about Northwestern and Michigan State and all the exciting things uh, that are going on in Nebraska. Um on a serious note, I am really excited to see uh, some of the teams kind of in the middle of the pack because, like we talked about last uh, week with the Big 12, there's a pretty uh, wide middle in this conference. It could go a lot of different ways, you know, between 10 and 4, 3 even. So uh, I'm excited to talk about the Big 10. I don't know about you guys. but Xavier, you got that computer fixed. You're all up and ready to go, right? Yeah, and I came back for the conference that's like a peanut butter sandwich, has no jelly, nothing surprises you. It's, nah, it's, wow. uh, yeah. I like a peanut butter sandwich. So I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I do too. And you, don't need, you don't need jelly. Honey. Yeah, honey. y'all. Honey, honey's good too. Yeah, that's true. So. Um, but let, let's dive right in here, and uh, we are a little crunched on time today, so I did give you guys a homework assignment this week, uh, so hopefully uh, th- that you guys enjoyed that. Uh, maybe you were <laughs> pulling your hair out about it. I don't know, so we'll, we'll see here, but I asked for superlatives for these teams, and uh, you, we have to dress up uh, the Big Ten some way here, but uh, I'm just kidding, Big Ten people. I'm just here to ruffle feathers. That's all, by the way, but uh, it started at the bottom. Uh, at 111 in FBS and dead last, 14 in the conference, Nick, the Rutgers Scarlet Knight, Scarlet Knights. I mean, you know, the running back seems to be okay there. Uh, you know, the offensive line is decent. Uh, they always seem to have some decent prospects, but they can never put it all together. So why don't you fill us in on why the Rutgers Knights are going to be where they always are? Well, uh, last year... Uh, this time last year, I think we were all a little bit more positive on Rutgers. They had shown some life at the end of the 2017 season. It, it looked like they might even be able to take another step toward potentially a bowl game. Uh, it looked like they were probably a little better off than Illinois, maybe. Uh, uh, you know, had a chance to escape the basement, but things really fell apart. They won uh, in week one and then lost 11 straight. Um, they, like you said, they, they had some talent. I mean, they had two defensive backs that were drafted off of last year's one 11 team, but, uh, this team had, had some discipline issues. They lost, uh, about nine guys before the season even started to discipline issues. And then since, uh, the 2018 season started, they've had double digit transfers, which is not necessarily a good sign. Um, basically this is the least talented team in the big 10 and that makes it uh they're superlative in in my mind they're they're the team with the biggest hill to climb just because they've dug sort of a hole as far as their uh talent and their roster strength is concerned they're the 80th 
uh, ranked team in our roster strength metric, which of course uh, takes the talent potential of each player through their recruiting ratings and adjusts it for experience and career production. And Rutgers comes in last in the Big Ten in 80th overall, which means there's about 25 G5 teams that rank ahead of them. So that's not a good starting point, especially in the Big Ten East. They've got a few bright spots. Uh, I really like running back Raheem Blackshear. He's got a diverse skill set. He's good out of the backfield in the passing game. He can make some exciting plays in the run game. He started 10 games. He put up five production points so far over his first two seasons. So would really expect him to be featured a lot. Um, Quarterback is an issue. Arthur Mm -hmm. Sikowski did not perform well through a ton of interceptions last year. They brought in a Texas Tech transfer to compete uh, for the job. I think Sikowski eventually will be okay, and last year's experience will help him down the line. He's got a big arm, but uh, they've got a a, a long, uh, a big hill to climb, like I said, and and a big gap between them and and the top of the East Division. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for Rutgers. Xavier Rutgers. I mean, you know, Rutgers. I mean, I think <laughs> Nick was being kind when he said that Sikowski had a, uh, uh, a eh year last year. And by a ton of interceptions. Oh, no, it was dreadful. But he can throw the ball <laughs> far yeah, and hard. Ball. So we'll see if he develops. To the wrong team. Uh, four touchdowns, <laughs> 18 interceptions. Uh, that's, uh, yeah. Um, and when you look at their team, they have 190 overall on the entire roster, according to our metric, just to kind of show the, the lack of talent uh, throughout. Uh, their best offensive player is a transfer, um, Penniston, who had less than 200 career receiving yards. And their best defensive player is also a transfer, uh, Singletary, who from Michigan, who has little experience on the college football level. Um, this team, it's Rutgers. I mean, I don't know which more I can add to that than I see them winning more than one game this year. There, there we go. In on a positive note. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we've got them projected for uh, to be favored in two games. So, but zero and nine in this conference. So it's it's going to be uh, you know like you guys mentioned, you, whatever superlative you want to use. Uh, biggest hill to climb. Lovable losers. Uh, I think my superlative is let's move on from Rutgers. Uh, (laughs) The number 13 team, number 93 overall in FBS is the uh, the Illinois, uh, the fighting Illini here. Um, They haven't been it's it's been like since they got lovey they haven't been good lovey coached the team to the super bowl and they just haven't put it together uh top 40 on offense is what we have under strengths for them you know reggie corbin i know is a big piece of this team uh they've been looking for a quarterback i think since juice williams and his giant head left so um (laughs) it's been a while since this team has had uh, a ton of talent, obviously, Geronimo Allison came from the school, and he's big in the NFL now. But, Nick, I mean, tell me about, uh, tell me about Illinois. Well, uh, the thing that jumps out to me about Illinois is that they improved by 3.76 points in our roster strength metric. So when Xavier said that Rutgers had you know, only one player with a 90 rating, We take all those ratings that we made for all the players, tally them all up, divide them by position, and then add those up into a team's roster strength metric. 
And Illinois has made the biggest improvement in that metric uh, out of every Big Ten team this year and the fifth biggest improvement in college football. So that's something. Uh, Lovey Smith has recruited well. He added a, a few four stars in this most recent class. Uh, Isaiah Williams, a quarterback, is a very exciting player, uh, can do a lot of uh, good things. I was thinking uh, that he would actually be able to come in and win uh, the job. He's only 5'9", 170, so not many people were ready to give him a, a an opportunity to play quarterback. Illinois said that they would, and he's such a dynamic playmaker. I think they've got to get him on the field somehow, but uh, the Michigan transfer, ben Brandon Peters, comes in. He is a 93 in our VGR Plus player ratings, so immediately him coming in helped raise uh, the expectations for Illinois, at least as far as on paper. They look like they're going to be a lot better. They brought in uh, a ton of transfers, Love you was uh, living in the transfer portal. It seemed uh, they've got at least four guys. Uh, we project four guys will start that are transfers from other uh, P five schools. They could have as many as six. Um, there's there's a lot of talented guys that just didn't work out in previous stops. Maybe things will click at Illinois. Uh, obviously, people leave a different situation for a reason. It's a high-risk, high-reward situation. But if everything comes together and, and you know they add the newcomers, the new talented players, and I forgot to mention Marquez Beeson, uh, who was highly regarded as a uh, defensive player and an offensive player. It looks like he's probably going to play wide receiver, but then they added a couple of uh, USC transfers at that position, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with Beeson. There's a lot of moving parts, and I'm really intrigued to see uh, what happens. Obviously, this team was not good last year. The defense has been uh, just uh, ugly. It's been it's been horrific. They ranked 13 or worse um, and 114th uh, or worse in all four major statistical categories: scoring, total offense, or total defense, uh, rushing defense, and passing defense per game. Um, and then in, if you look at the advanced stats, S&P Plus, they ranked 125th in rushing and 127th in passing. So this team couldn't stop anybody. Uh, they were very simple on defense. They play a lot of man-to-man, -man, cover two. You know, Lovey Smith is, is in that Tampa two uh, coaching tree, but uh, they just don't have the talent to match up with such a simple system. So he's raising the talent level. If he gets the players – it looks like they know what they're doing on defense. It's just they just haven't had the talent. Now the talent's a little better. The rushing attack was actually pretty good, number two in the Big Ten and number 12 uh, in the country. So there's potential here, but, you know, so far the improvements are only on paper. <laughs> yeah, Xavier, when, when your war cry is better than Rutgers, uh, not not a very good war cry, right? We have them projected to win, or favored, excuse me, uh, in four games, uh, win probability projection just over four. Uh, do you have anything, um, any sliver of hope? Is there any, uh, you know, well, ray of light for this team? It, it comes in the form of Brandon Peters. Uh, Nick said it earlier. My superlative for them is in Brandon Peters. They trust. Um, he's one of the top three rated players on the team, which bodes well. If you have a quarterback that's one of your best players, that's normally a good thing. Um, the wide receiving court, although they don't have any 90-rated overall players in the receiving court as a whole, 
they have some solid talent, and most of them are elder statesmen, as I put it in my notes. Uh, so that means they're juniors or seniors, which will help out with a new quarterback coming into the system. Uh, the transfer from Alabama, Pettibaum, adds to what is an above-average offensive line. Um, this, the offensive line isn't terrible, and it's well-experienced as well, with everybody on the offensive line having 10-plus games played um, and over 10-plus games started outside of Pettibaum, who's obviously a transfer. They're not a terrible team, Illinois, but I'm going to tell you what their problem is. They run a Tampa 2, and their cornerbacks aren't good. <laughs> you, you, you can't run that off, that defense and have one corner who is your also your safety be your best player. It's just not going to work. So either Lovey's going to have to change his philosophy in that situation, or they're going to have to far and exceed what we currently have them at uh, projected as far as their talent is concerned. Four wins is not a terrible projection. We have them going one and eight in the conference. Their one win will probably come against Rutgers. Um, but Illinois is, you can expect what you normally get from Illinois. Uh, so four wins is exactly where you should have them. Yeah. No I'm, gripes about that. Uh, the, the next team on this list here, I've had difficulties dealing with. The last two seasons, you guys know that I'm a Longhorns fan, and Maryland, who uh, is 12th in the conference, 86 overall, has beaten up my Longhorns the last two seasons in a row. Uh, obviously, uh, an emotional win for them in the opener last season after uh, you know the, the, the death in the program and all of the stuff coming with that and all the negative attention. But they've, they've had a good rushing offense for uh, a long time. And they, you know, Deshaun Jones seems like he's going to take another step up for this team. But, um, you know, the coaching rating is just kind of okay. And uh, passing hasn't really been their game as of recent. We have them favored to win fewer games, actually favored in three games. Uh, and, but their win probability projection is a little bit higher than Illinois. So, Nick, uh, the Terrapins, what's kind of the ceiling here? Well, the ceiling is is considerably higher than what we've got projected. And a big reason for that is because Mike Loxley uh, pretty much just has a disastrous resume as a head coach. Uh, his time at New Mexico was uh, just just bad. I mean, there, there's, there's no way around it. it. On the field, off the field, there were issues there. And so uh, that's why he ranks 128th in head coach rating. Now, the superlative that, that I put down for Maryland was that they're most likely to exceed head coach rating because I think Mike Loxley is better than that. I think he uh, has probably taken a lot in from the Alabama reclamation project uh, situation that a lot of coaches have, have gone through. Um, I read a, a recent story in The Athletic about the journal that he kept uh, from his days at New Mexico, things he wanted to change, things that he's learned in the years since. So I expect that number to rise pretty quickly. Um, and if it does, uh, if, if Maryland does come out of the gate strong, which we've seen that they can do, uh, they, they have the talent to beat a lot of teams. This is actually the uh, 27th ranked team in average 247 sports rating. So you've got fringe top 25 pure talent. 
um, and they're 38th in roster strength. So uh, not quite as uh, talented, according to our numbers, as sort of the pure uh, high school ratings numbers might indicate, but they're still a top 40 team. And to have them ranked 89th is a bit of a shock, and it's because that head coach rating uh, takes about 30% of our overall team strength rating. So once that improves, they will improve in the rankings for sure, and they've got the talent to compete with a lot of players. Uh, The passing offense was obviously an issue, but Loxley was the play caller at Alabama last year. They took a huge step forward in the passing game with Tua. Uh, We don't know if Josh Jackson can replicate that. Um, I actually really liked what I saw from uh, Terrell Pigrom and the few opportunities we've had to see him over the last couple of years. He's uh, pretty um, elusive, a, a good runner. I would be interested to see what he can do in that role. But Josh Jackson flashed some at Virginia Tech as well. So uh, if he comes in and stays healthy and uh, stabilizes that position, one of his former Hokies teammates, uh, Sean Savoy, got a waiver uh, for his transfer. So he is eligible. He steps in and is the second highest rated wide receiver on the team. They also got a transfer from UConn at tight end. They've got a couple of good tight ends. So, or excuse me, Buffalo. He, uh, Tyler may be transferred from Buffalo. So uh, throw in a couple of other transfers at the linebacker core and a very, very highly talented uh, safety Nick Cross that Loxley was able uh, to sign in this most recent class. Throw him in with three other uh, defensive backs that have a 95 or better rating. Uh, there are some pieces here. This is not an empty cupboard situation. Uh, Anthony McFarlane didn't even mention him. Is uh, he, he leads a top 20 running back unit. So um, there are pieces here. There, there is um, a lot to be hopeful for uh, in College Park, but it's just whether or not Loxley truly has Uh, learned from his past mistakes as a head coach. We know he's going to recruit. Can he and the staff develop those players? And if so, and if it happens quickly, this could be a bowl team. Yeah, Xavier, I remember Pigram running all over the the Longhorns uh, two (laughs) years ago, and then it was Deshaun Jones last season. Uh, What do you see with the Terrapins? Well, my supposed for them is sleepers, so I'm kind of on the same line as Nick here. I really like this team when you look at them on paper. Uh, I really like Josh Jackson. I think that he's going to have a large chip on his shoulder coming into this season after losing his job at Virginia Tech. After having some pretty good years and starting off last year looking like he was on fire. Um, His first year with Virginia Tech, he threw 20 touchdowns and uh, nine interceptions. And threw for almost 2,000 yards. And he started off last year with five TDs and one interception. So I think this team has a lot to look forward to. I think that us having them only favored in three games – might be more so towards the talent of the Big Ten, more so than Maryland not being up to snuff. Um, I think this year, obviously, they're going to be looking back, to, looking to get back to football after what last year was a little bit marred by what happened um, uh, with the death of the player and everything. They're going to be looking to get back to football. The, the consistency of their O-line, for me, determines how well this team plays. Um, as, we, as you just alluded to, uh, their running game has been good for the last two years, and it's going to be looking to do that once again this year. And we're having a mobile, I'll put air quotes around that necessarily for Josh Jackson at quarterback, adds to that for the O-line. It's another responsibility that they now have to have. And I think that they'll be able to come up in that situation. Uh, unlike Illinois, 
they run the perfect defense for their talent. Um, I think the 3-3-5 is a great defense to run when you have a solid back end and you have linebackers who can fill gaps. And when you have guys like uh, Tino Ellis and Marcus Lewis on the back end, both of them seniors, both of them are some of the highest rated players on the team. I think you have a team here who could upset a few teams in the conference. So I think three wins is that we have them favoring is shooting under. And uh, I think I'm looking more five, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, my superlative for them is I'm glad the Longhorns aren't opening with them again. So, uh, (laughs) you know, move on, please. Uh, Speaking of moving on, how about the Hoosiers? We've got uh, Indiana uh, as 11 in the conference, 73 overall. The strength is really Stevie Scott and the offensive line. Um, You know, the defense was bad last year. So that is where the weakness comes in. But this is kind of one of those middling teams here, Nick. Uh, like you said, the Big Ten is built a lot like me, uh, big around the waist. So uh, <laughs> what do you think of the Hoosiers this season? Well, it's, it, it, it's, it's uh, your, your homework for us. Uh, the thing that came to mind for me first was this is the most anonymous team. Uh, I just don't really think of Indiana very much and that's that's you know a, you know potentially a problem they always seem to kick off you know around noon and so I'll, I'll watch them they'll be on like my second or third uh, TV they'll be sort of in the background I'll say oh they're kind of hanging with Michigan here or oh they're you know they're they're putting a scare into Ohio State a couple of years ago but they haven't really broke through with any incredibly memorable upsets uh over the over the past few years you know nothing comes to mind maybe i'm missing something but um this team is just sort of anonymous it seems like they play early in the day and i kind of forget about them by the time you know hawaii kicks off and and so i just don't have much of a memory of seeing indiana and and seeing what they are and so they're always in the mix for a bowl uh, last year, they had five wins going into the Purdue game. Actually, they had five wins going into the Michigan game and, and uh, played pretty tough against the Wolverines, but came up short, lost two in a row, missed a bowl again. Um, but I, I was reading uh, in my Athlon preseason magazine, and, and the good folks at Athlon do a great job with their uh, anonymous coaching quotes. And some of the stuff, you know, you're, you're trying to get a – uh, a reaction or, or, you know, say something crazy. But I always think there's there's some good nuggets of information in there to, to see how a, a program is perceived, you know, truthfully and honestly. And, and the first thing that's written about Indiana, I'm going to quote, is, you hate playing this team. They're always competitive. They're always fighting back and staying in games, even when they're down. And I think that's, to be honest, a, a pretty good, um, uh, that's a pretty good compliment. From, a, from an opposing coach to, to hear that your team plays hard, that they're always in it and they, and they just hate playing them. They just annoy you. You wish they would go away. That's a pretty good compliment. And Indiana's been that the last couple of years. They've been in the mix. They've been, you know, uh, they struggled on defense around the 80s, uh, statistically speaking. But they've got some good players Running back is loaded. Stevie Scott was one of the most impressive true freshmen in the country last year. He's 235 pounds, and they've got depth at that position. They brought in a guy who was even more highly rated. Samson James is 
has the potential maybe even to unseat Stevie Scott. So they've got some pieces. They play hard. They're always in the mix. But at the end of the day, they've come up short, and uh, they're, they're still kind of the most anonymous team in the Big Ten, in my opinion. Xavier, the, the, the Hoosiers, I mean, uh, you know, Nick just did a – that was a compliment peanut butter sandwich, but it was like <laughs> yeah, that bad, was... nice, bad instead of good, bad, good. You know, it was kind of the reverse. So what Sorry. do you what do you have on the – well, I mean, you're being truthful. <laughs> what do you have on the Hoosiers here, Xavier? Yeah, he added bananas to that sandwich, so uh, he kind of <laughs> livened it up. But uh, my superlative for this team is, one – Gosh, this team has the worst uniforms in the conference. But two <laughs> is can they finish? Um, you know, you look at Indiana, and last year, out of barring the two blowout losses that they had last year, five out of the seven losses that they had came were a combined thirty-five points. So it shows you that they were in ball games last year, and but the, the ball could have bounced, you know, three feet the other way. They may have been in a bowl game. And I know a lot of Indiana fans know that. Uh, Indiana has become somewhat of a sneakily RBU in the last couple of years um, with guys like Jordan Howard and Tevin Coleman obviously uh, being drafted. And Stevie Scott, as Nick so profoundly alluded to, is another one of these amazing running backs that is probably going to go under the radar but has the talent to carry Indiana to a couple of wins this year. My issue with Indiana, and I had the same issue with Illinois, and I'm going to have any issue with any team who runs this defense but doesn't have the talent. You run a 4-2-5, you need back-end talent. And when you look at Indiana, their corners are okay. My issue is they have no linebackers. They have two. They're decent. One's a redshirt freshman in James Miller and Raquan Jones. But these linebackers are going to have to be very important in the passing game when it comes to a 4-2-5 to make up for the fact that you're losing a linebacker to add another corner. They're going to have to guard the tight ends of the Big Ten, who we know there are some good ones. There always are. And if they can't do their job, they will get eaten alive in the defense that, once again, if you don't have the talent to run it, just don't run it. Run a base four, run a, run a base defense, run a four three, even run a three four if that's your cup of tea. Don't come out there in a four two five when you don't have the talent to run it because you're just going to give up points. It's just not going to be a good day for you. So I guess I ended with a bad two. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's the Hoosiers and uh, moving <laughs> not far. From, I mean, look, it's a basketball school. I mean, you know, the people that go and there know that. It's uh, <laughs> they have, a wonderful place. Yeah. What and, and they have been uh, they have been better than what they are now. But you just the expectations for this team this year is not much higher than it is in general. But uh, a, a team that I think is going to be surprising because they're coming in 10th here. Uh, 68th overall is Purdue. And they've got some really good players. Rondell Moore, uh, a constant, very high pick in all of our CFF drafts that we have been doing, but uh, the the offensive line and DB are both lowest-ranked units in the conference. We do have them favored in five games, but still, you know, that's um, projecting them to go under 500 here, Nick. Uh, Purdue, I feel like they're a little bit like Maryland where they could pull off some wins where they shouldn't, but we've also seen them lose games that they shouldn't. Absolutely. They... Um... That's that's a, a good comparison. They they do remind me of Maryland in some ways, but it's in it's it's that they've kind of are in a, an opposite situation. Brom is very well 
regarded as a head coach. Um, the uh, defensive coordinator, Nick Holt, is uh, really, really good. Both of them lead their units. They're, they're very multiple, diverse. They're good with X's and O's. They can draw up plays, get people in matchups, and uh, disguise a lot of what they're doing and, and take lesser talented players and do some big things. And so once they're getting some really talented players like a Rondale Moore, uh, then they have an opportunity to, to really take the next step as a program. It's funny how uh, they've come right after Indiana, not only because they're rivals, but uh, we do only favor Purdue in five games, and they are actually favored to win four Big Ten games. They play a really tough non-conference schedule, uh, but Indiana is actually projected to win more games overall as far as the win probabilities. We have Indiana at 5.87 wins and Purdue at 5.58. So it's a a lot fewer toss-up games, it seems, with Purdue. They're going to really have to make a big, you know, they're going to have to pull off a big upset uh, like they did last year with Ohio State if they're going to want, if they're going to be able to qualify for a bowl game. Um, But back to the the talent, Rondell Moore uh, is elite he is definitely one of the best wide receivers in the country, one of the most exciting players that you could hope for. They get him involved every way possible. Uh, I want to see if that's going to be the case again this year. They were able to bring in uh, two true freshman receivers who are bigger and actually came in as higher-rated recruits than Moore did last year. So will they be able to spread the ball around a little bit more? Might not be good for your CFF uh, followers, but uh, would be good, I think, for the Boilermakers as a whole. They're going to be able to uh, get the move the ball around a little bit more, keep defenses guessing a little bit more. Um, the offensive line is a concern. Uh, they have a right tackle who has a 92.6 rating in our VGR Plus metric. He's made 36 career starts, but nobody else on the line has even an 80 rating, which 82 is average just for uh, so everyone knows. So they have four linemen that are below average and one pretty good one, according to our numbers. So that's the worst in the Big Ten, uh, 78th overall as a unit. Um, they've got a couple of decent players uh, scattered through the defense. Uh, one safety, uh, Navon Mosley, is a 94 Definitely the leader of that group, but kind of like the offensive line, he's the only guy with a rating over 80. So that's the worst, as you mentioned, uh, rated unit in the Big Ten and 100th overall. Uh, The two things that I'm most concerned about, though, um, are a quarterback. You know, Elijah Sindelar was the starter for week one last year. Uh, Didn't work out. Um, and will a running back emerge? Because this team lost uh, 93% of its passing yardage and 84% of its rushing yardage from last year. So people are going to have to step up at those two positions to keep this offense rolling and and get more of the ball. Xavier, the the Boilermakers, uh, definitely a fun team to watch, especially for a CFF nerd like me. When you have a, a guy like Rondell Moore, uh, Sindelaire does come in like Nick just mentioned. He has some experience at least, so there's that. What do you think of the Boilermakers this season? Well, when I look at Sindelaire, I don't know which one we're going to get. As, as Nick said, he, he lost a starting job last year. 
Uh, but if he can return to his 2017 form, where he threw 18 touchdowns and seven and seven interceptions, excuse me, that bodes well for this for for Purdue. I think that Purdue is better than maybe our numbers are necessarily giving them credit for. I think where I worry about Purdue is can Rondell Moore continue the production he had last year? I think he's going to have to with them losing so much talent and so much productivity on offense. You lose 93% of your offensive productivity, you're going to have to step up in a big way as the best player on the team um, coming this season. And as receivers typically do, after a breakout year, the second year is normally a dip. Now, how much of a dip that will be, we'll have to see. But when you have a great season as a receiver, the next year you're going to be guarded by the number one corner and the number two corner at the same time, most of the time, especially when you are a Purdue team that doesn't have a lot of talent to take away from Rondell Moore. Teams are going to solely focus their defense on stopping him and making sure that he doesn't beat them, which is going to mean other players have to step up. Nick said it earlier, when you look at their offensive line, their offensive line, and especially the interior, is very young. And that equals no running game. Uh, when your interior is young and when they're not great, that means in between the tackles is going to be very tough for them to accomplish this year. As well as just them having a running back step up is also going to be a challenge when your offensive line cannot give them the proper holes to step up. Um, the one interesting thing I did find out, I did look at Purdue, is that this year they get no favors on the road. Uh, they play Penn State, Iowa, and Wisconsin all on the road, as well as Northwestern. Last year, we all remember their game against Ohio State, but they had a lot of big games at home, which, bold, which you know, fared well for them. This year, they get they don't get any of those favors, and so I would I'm excited to see what Purdue is able to do on the road, as opposed to having that home cooking that they've had last, uh, had last year. So, all right, the the Huskers are ninth in the conference, and uh, Huskers fans, I'm gonna say that this is according to Nick that they're ninth. <laughs> so don't come after Bogman or Xavier here, yeah. uh, but uh, they're ninth, obviously. This is a team that's still transitioning to Scott Frost's, uh, you know, taste. They've got a couple recruiting classes in at this point, uh, but 46 overall. So ninth isn't bad. Plus, like Nick mentioned, there is a glut in the middle where these uh, teams can finish uh, kind of all over the place. Adrian Martinez, as a sophomore, is uh, looking to be better than last year, which would be incredible. But they are completely inexperienced at – uh, several positions and running back has been a huge question mark for them. But I mean, this is where we step into the good range here because we have them favored in nine games uh, with a win probability of over seven games. So uh, the, the Huskers ninth, but possibly much higher than that in this conference. Right, Nick? Absolutely. And you brought up a, a great point. They are 46th in the country and number nine in the Big Ten in our team strength ratings. And what those are, are our, uh, our power rankings, our power ratings. This is not a projected order of finish. Uh, we do not expect Nebraska to be the ninth best team uh, at the end of the season when you look at the standings. Um, what that means is we would favor 45 other teams in the country over Nebraska on a neutral field. And obviously Nebraska 
doesn't play anybody else on a neutral field unless they get uh, to Indianapolis by winning the West, which we actually project them to finish in a tie for first in the West. So their schedule sets up very nicely. We have them favored in nine games. They should win seven on average. So um, the uh, a bowl is absolutely uh, expected uh, for the Cornhuskers this year. It would be a major disappointment if they don't get back to a bowl game. And this is a Big Ten West contender. Adrian Martinez might be uh, my favorite player to watch in the country. I was uh, setting up my office for uh, sort of what it would be like on a game day uh, since we're less than a month away. And so I I set my TVs up. I put uh, some YouTube games on, uh, which, by the way, thank you, all of you people that put uh, college football games on YouTube. You're a lifesaver in the (laughs) offseason. But... uh, I, I didn't even mean to, but I looked up and I had four screens going and Nebraska was on three of them. <laughs> I, I love watching Adrian Martinez play. I think he is a Heisman uh, contender, probably in 2020. He's going to put up huge numbers. Scott Frost is a top 10 play caller. We actually have him ranked seventh in our OC ratings. Um, he's going to put Martinez in a position to be successful. He only has like a 90 VGR plus, a little over 90 coming into the season. He's going to be a 100 probably uh, by the uh, second Uh, probably the the last quarter of the season, he's going to put up enough production points to be a 100. So this team will rise in uh, their team strength ratings based on his performance alone. But I think uh, that Frost does such a good job game planning, putting people in a position to be successful, you're going to see a lot of other people throw up some production points as well. I'm not sure who it's going to be at running back, They seem to have a bit of a logjam sort of as they're waiting to figure out what's going to happen with Maurice Washington. If he has a lengthy suspicion, uh, (laughs) suspension, uh, (laughs) you know, who's (laughs) who's going to step into that role? Some people really think it's going to be Dedrick Mills. Uh, I don't know that he's going to get it right away. The the, uh, transfer, former Georgia Tech uh, running back who went to Juco, um, they've got. Uh, a couple of former walk-ons that seemed to be in the heavy rotation uh, during the spring when, of course, Mills wasn't in. He, his academics hadn't been uh, cleared yet. They've got a couple of freshmen that are intriguing. Miles Jones, redshirt freshman, only played in one game last year, but he's uh, one of the higher-rated players on the depth chart. And then a, a true freshman, Ramir Johnson, uh, who we have as a running back, also could be in the mix. But the the player really to watch out for, we have him listed as a receiver in our team profiles uh, and our depth charts, which are available to our patrons. Uh, but he he certainly could end up in the backfield, and, and Frost is going to use him in a lot of different ways, is uh, Wandale Robinson, who is already going to be suspended uh, for at least one game. Um, but once he's back, he's going to be... Uh, probably one of the top playmakers in the Big Ten almost right away. Uh, he, his, you put his highlight reels on, throw his, his huddle highlights, uh, and he just jumps off the screen. He's a, a superstar waiting to break out. I'm really excited about this offense, um, and their schedule sets up really, really well. This is far from a perfect team. Uh, linebacker is a bit of a, a bit of a soft spot on defense. They only rank 60th in roster strength. This actually is a weaker roster at this point in the preseason than it was at the end of 
2018. They actually lost 1.3 points, which is uh, 100th uh, in the country and 11th in the Big Ten. So this isn't a perfect team, but they are a contender in the West. They are going to be very exciting to watch, and they've got some of the uh, really most impressive players in college football that we're going to be watching over the next couple of years. Uh, you know, that wasn't a complete backtrack, but I thought that was pretty good <laughs> at, uh, you know, uh, patting the, the Cornhuskers fans on the back. And Xavier, looking at the schedule for the Huskers, too, the bonus that they have is they do have the tough games at home this year. Ohio exactly. State, Wisconsin is at home, Indiana is at home. Uh, you know, on the road against Maryland, Purdue, and Illinois in conference. So uh, that should at least help out a little bit, right? Absolutely. That should help out a lot. Uh, we all know what home field advantage does to college football. It, adds, it, it, it makes games a lot closer than they should be. Or it can even boast teams to wins that maybe they shouldn't have had. Um, so having those home games is huge for them. Um when I saw this, I saw favored in nine games. My jaw almost hit the floor. I, not to say that Nebraska is a bad team at all. Let me just preface that statement. <laughs> but I don't see them winning nine games. Uh, but my superlative for them was it's time to get out of mama's basement. And by that, I mean it's time for them to actually be the Nebraska that all their fans talk about them being. Uh, they've got the quarterback. They've got the they've got Lamar Jackson, not the quarterback, the cornerback, who's an absolute stud and has first rounder written all over him. They've got players. It's going to be on Scott Frost this year to either put up or shut up. And depending on how well or how bad they play, his seat could be scorching by the end of the season. Uh, Nebraska. Uh, when I look at them, I see a team that has a lot of talent and has a team and has a dearth of it in a lot of places. That place not being running back, but you don't necessarily need a great running back to win games. Okay, Nebraska, you have every right to be projected to win seven games. However, Nick has you projected at nine, or Nick's numbers. Let me say that Nick's <laughs> numbers have you favored in nine. I do not. That doesn't mean you guys have to beat me up. That just means I'm being practical and not saying that you guys are going to go from four and eight to possibly winning nine games and tying your side of the division. I'm not going to go that far. Not going to go that far. Uh, how about uh, moving up here, the the Golden Gophers of Minnesota? Eighth in the conference, but 38 overall, so much better overall number here. Ton of running back depth with Ibrahim, Smith, and Brooks. Um, you know, the, the Tyler Johnson is coming back. But the QB battle is going to be one to watch, and uh, a little bit of depth they lost. You know, Cashman going in the draft, and uh, you know other guys graduating. We have them projected to uh, to be favored in eight games, and a win probability a little bit higher than Nebraska's. Nick, so uh, tell me about the Gophers. Yeah, absolutely. This this team, when looking at them and, and uh, looking through the numbers and watching old games. Um, in some ways, they're a mirror image of Nebraska, and in some ways, they're complete opposite. When I was going through with the superlatives, uh, I settled on most improved on the field for Nebraska, um, and that could have gone to Minnesota, possibly. Um, I expect that this team will be uh, a much more attractive team to watch this year. They started out really kind of ugly, 
last year, Zach Anikstead was uh, just sort of thrown into the fire as a walk-on true freshman at quarterback, and it took a while for things to click. And then, of course, they had injury issues at the running back position, so things were... uh, uh, not not, <laughs> not smooth on, on offense. They relied on Tyler Johnson more heavily than any other team relied on its top receiver last year. He got a higher target percentage uh, than any other player in the country. So uh, they knew they had a good player. They targeted him a lot, put the ball in his hands a lot, and that kind of helped them tread water until they really kind of uh, stepped in uh, you know, they they took a step up. They they did improve over the course of the season. Offensively, things got a little bit better. Anikstead was banged up a lot. The team actually uh, started playing a lot better on offense, in my opinion, when Tanner Morgan uh, was able to come in and uh, start some games at quarterback. Um, and uh, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, Muhammad Ibrahim it really sort of came out of nowhere. I mean, he put up 10 production points as a freshman. Uh, we did not expect him really to play much at all because Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks look like two of the best, you know, arguably the top running back duo, maybe the second best uh, compared to Ohio State. But in the Big Ten, definitely in the conversation. And then Ibrahim comes up and, uh, you know, puts up big numbers and and really kind of carries this team through uh, the bulk of the season, helps them get to a bowl game. And by that point, the defense started to come around, which uh, really is something to watch in 2019. Because once they made the coordinator change when they lost to Illinois and just got embarrassed on defense, uh, P.J. Fleck, who I've always had kind of a soft spot for P.J. Fleck. I know his rah-rah stuff rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but I don't know. I've kind of always liked him. But he made a tough decision, got rid of his defensive coordinator that he brought in when he took the job, and uh, things changed. The defense, it, it they simplified things. They started playing harder. Um, and after that point, over the final four games, they allowed 4.9 yards per play, which uh, if you were to, to put that in the leaderboard for the full season, ranked in the top 25. So this team has potential. They made a lot of improvements over the course of the year. They are uh, the they return more production from last year than any team in the conference. Um, and they have a good schedule, eight eight uh, wins or favored to win eight is is something and that should pan out pretty well because the win probability is 7.4 so uh, we have this team tied in a in the west uh they're not going to be the last one tied to win the west um and um some it, it'll be exciting uh I, I one last note on the running backs rodney smith i saw the other day uh, a beat reporter um tweeted out that uh, he's actually going to play some wide receiver this year, which was news to me. So they're going to try to get these guys on the field at the same time. And Shannon Brooks is not fully healthy yet, it seems. But uh, in that same story, uh, Fleck was quoted as saying that he will play sometime in 2019. So expect the coaching staff to, to play to its strengths like they did targeting Johnson so much last year. They're going to try to get the ball to those running backs as best they can. And, and uh, don't be surprised if this team contends in the West. Right, Xavier, the the Golden Gophers. Are you? Uh, I mean, Nick, Nick sounded excited for this team. Are you in that same type of boat? I are am. you rowing the boat? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I can't say I'm rowing. More I'm, I'm floating. But um, I think when you look at Minnesota, I like Fleck too. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that right now. Uh, P.J. Fleck is my guy. I, I like the rah-rah stuff. Don't get me wrong. But I think they do get a benefit playing on that side of the conference. You know, I, I genuinely think that if they were playing on the other side, it wouldn't. we wouldn't have them nearly as high. And the reason why is their quarterback situation is abysmal. We have them currently ranked as the 109th in the country of all FBS teams ranked when it comes to the quarterback position. That's worst in the conference, and that's almost one of the worst in the country. They Or, yes, it is one of the worst in the country, but almost in the absolute bottom. When you don't have a good quarterback, you're going to be in trouble in a lot of games. And I know the defense played better last year down the stretch. However, I'm still a little skeptical. We we look at the last four games, and that's great, that's cool, that's fine and dandy. Four games isn't 12. And so when I look at that defense and how they play down down the stretch, I'm looking forward to seeing if they can continue that coming into the 2019-2020 season. Especially because the teams that they played last year down the stretch aren't necessarily known for high-octane offenses in um, Wisconsin, Georgia Tech, Northwestern. They're not necessarily known as high flyers. So I would like to see what they do against the entire division in next year's season when it comes to the defense. I'm not necessarily as high on Minnesota as Nick is. That doesn't mean I think they're going to you know, win only five games, but... I think finishing like they did last year at six and six is more of a viable option for this ball club uh, than what we have them projected as a seven point four two. Six wins is more something I'm okay with uh, agreeing to. Uh, all right, moving on here to Northwestern, and we've got them at uh, seventh in the conference, obviously thirty six in the nation, uh, and they always kind seem to be this team that is run first play good defense, and they're always smart, but they don't seem to have the speed to match with uh, any of the higher uh, upper echelon teams like Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State in this conference. Uh, We have them projected to be favored in eight games, but with a win probability of under seven of 6.8, Nick. So uh, Northwestern here. Uh, I'm a big Isaiah Bowser fan. I've drafted him in a couple spots now, including in our CFB Winning Edge Dynasty League. What do you think about the Wildcats? And tell me Bowser is going to be good, please. (laughs) (laughs) So Northwestern, I I said that they're the most volatile team in the Big Ten. And and that might not make sense uh, just when you see it there in black and white because we think, oh, Wisconsin, or not Wisconsin, Northwestern, they're very stable. You know, Fitzgerald has been there basically since the day he graduated. He was head coach. So uh, he's got the same staff. His coordinators have been there for 12 years or something crazy. So uh, consistency has always been a theme at Northwestern, but they're volatile when it comes to what we can expect uh, to happen what, you know, uh, basically, I'm talking, I guess, against the spread. So last year, Northwestern had six outright upset wins, which is a huge number. And that's a big reason why they won the West. But they also had two outright upset losses, games they were supposed to win, and then they lost. As a favorite, they were 0-4-1 against the spread. So they failed to meet 
expectations in the games they were supposed to win. They played down to the level of their opponent. And the, the one push was against Nebraska where they had to drive 99 yards and score a touchdown with 12 seconds left to force overtime and then ended up winning by three to push. So uh, Northwestern, they just didn't follow the script last year. And Pat Fitzgerald specifically, though he is a great uh, motivator. Um, he was a legend at the school. He's a consistent presence there. He's the kind of coach that the uh, CFB winning edge numbers love to hate because he just doesn't seem to do what he's supposed to do. Uh, he doesn't blow teams out when they're supposed to win big, and he doesn't get blown out when they're uh, projected as heavy uh, underdogs. So very hard team to project. Isaiah Bowser is a solid running back. He's a very physical runner. He fits their system. He will uh, succeed in their system. But to be honest, I was surprised when I looked at uh, the stats last year. Northwestern only ranked 120th in the country in rushing offense in a yards per game uh, factor. So I thought, well, okay, maybe the advanced stats show something, uh, you know, better. Nope. S&P Plus, uh, they were 118th in rushing. But you know, of course, I think Fitzgerald has said stats are for losers. So what do I know? Uh, and he does have some very good defensive players. All three units, they rank in the top 51. They've got two 100-rated players, Joe Graziano, Gaziano, the defensive end, and Patty Fisher, the linebacker. Um, very fun players to watch. And then he's got a five-star quarterback. I mean, Hunter Johnson was uh, the guy before Trevor Lawrence came along at Clemson and then transferred to Northwestern. So um, he's got pieces, and he's got a track record for, you know, upsetting people he's not supposed to. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we, you know, eight wins seems about right. They'll be in the mix in the West, but it's just a hard team to project. Xavier, what do you and your cat think about uh, the uh, <laughs> the Northwestern Wildcats here? Um, Northwestern. So my superlative for them is, as I had Nebraska coming out of Mama's basement, I have Northwestern moving back into the house and going and living in the basement this year. They're just too volatile, as Nick said. I don't trust Northwestern. I can't. Too many of their games were, were one play away. They won by three twice they won by four once i mean and then they lost to duke and akron last year this team makes absolutely zero sense and when you look at their schedule as i put it in my notes it starts off as a doozy they get stanford on the road they get unlv at home then they face michigan state and wisconsin in back-to-back weeks this team could easily be staring at one in three in the first four games and that's never a good thing However, with a coach like Pat Fitzgerald, they could also be three and one. Yes, Northwestern is one of the worst teams to try to bet on. Don't do it. My questions for them is, will Bowser take the next step? And I have it as a star-like jump. Last year, he had around 800 rushing yards. This year, can he make that next step and become a 1,000-yard rusher? Hopefully, for your sake, Scott, he does become that. Um, But... Like I said, this team is way too up and down for me. This team could have easily been a three-win team last year, and nobody would have batted an eyelash. Um, So Northwestern, projected at six wins, is okay. Favored in eight, I can't go that far. I'm not going to. Um, So Northwestern, a big question mark has to be over their team right now. You have to see it to believe it with that that team. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what... 
Northwestern has been for a while, and I would say the uh, steroids version of Northwestern is Wisconsin, and we've got them <laughs> just ahead of, of Northwestern at 32 overall, six in the conference. On a, uh, Jonathan Taylor, honestly, is a Heisman candidate. Uh, the offensive line is still really good, um, and um, they might have found their QB of the future here. Uh, the defense wasn't great last season, but we have them favored in eight, projected to win just over seven. Nick, tell me about Wisconsin. So Wisconsin is a very similar team to Northwestern. They've been consistent. They're always kind of a pain in the ass to whoever they're playing. Um, they do it with the running game. Jonathan Taylor is a wow player when you watch him run. Um, he, he's the most productive player in the country, according to our uh, production points. He's put up 34 points in two years. That's more than any active player. Uh, it just he's been incredible. Um, this was the number three rushing team in the country as far as S&P Plus uh, goes. They were number six uh, rushing on standard downs. So even though you know Wisconsin is going to run the football, you still can't stop it. And that's just a, a great trait to have is to be able to do what you want to do, uh, particularly on offense and, and not, you know, be forced to uh, change your game plan, um, except obviously they, they did fall behind in some games and, and they couldn't, uh, they, they didn't have the pieces in place to come back uh, with the passing game. So this team finished 119th in the country and 12th in the Big Ten in passing offense and yards per game. Um, but you mentioned they seem to have the quarterback of the future. Graham Mertz is a big-time true freshman. Uh, we have this projected. Um, we actually have both guys listed as a starter. He and Jack Cohn, who we saw start four games and, and play in 11 uh, total over the last couple of years. Um we have the two. We don't know who's going to win the job right out of camp. I wouldn't be surprised if Cone starts, but then Mertz wins the job after a few weeks. And if uh, he clicks, then this team really will be dangerous because the passing game should improve. Alex Hornerbrook did some good things, um, but he just wasn't consistent, didn't take care of the football enough. And uh, so if, if Mertz, if he, he comes in or if Cone you know, nails the job down, if they get better quarterback play, more consistent quarterback play, then uh, this team is definitely a team to watch. They always seem to overachieve, um, except for last year. So last year they came up short, and uh, this year they don't have a great bounce-back opportunity because my superlative was this team is uh, probably the most upset with the schedule makers. Their uh, non-conference schedule, not, excuse me, their their cross-division schedule is brutal. Um, and so they've got to go to Ohio State. They play home against Michigan State. And uh, then they also play at home against Michigan. So um, that that's about as bad a draw as you can get from the East. And it's going to be very difficult for Wisconsin to win the West. We actually have them projected to go five and four in the conference, which uh, would be in the bottom half of the West. So uh, 
like some of the other teams we've mentioned, they've got a lot of great pieces. They've got a couple of superstars. Uh, and a, uh, They've got arguably the best center in the nation. And you know the offensive line is going to be good. They've recruited better along the offensive line as far as the, the raw, pure talent numbers go. And you know they just find these guys anyway. You know, Even if they're two-star players, they're going to uh, blossom into productive road graders. So Wisconsin's always going to be dangerous, but this year I think the schedule is too tough and they've still got a few question marks at quarterback. I'm not sure if the passing game is going to help them get back to uh, the top of the standings. Xavier, this team to me feels like, you know, like like Nick just kind of gave them a little bit of criticism, but they're still always good. So they kind of feel like, you know, while they're better than teams uh, in general like a Northwestern, they are usually letting you down because they have such a high expectation. Uh, what do you feel about this Badger squad this year? Absolutely. I think that's not a – you're not far off with that assessment. I honestly think that losing Hornybrook might have been the best thing to happen to this team. As Nick alluded to, he was very inconsistent and oftentimes is the reason why they lost some of their ball games. And if Graham Mertz can be the quarterback of the future, or even Jack Cohn can be the quarterback of the present, I think you have a Wisconsin team that could very well uh, exceed past what we have them winning, uh, which is seven games. They're projected to win seven games in favor of an eight. I could easily see them winning nine at this point. And to kind of piggyback off of what Nick said, they did get a bad draw from the other side, from the eastern side of the conference. However, two out of the three of those games are at home. And I think that bodes well when you have a possible young quarterback in Mertz and even Cone, who has little experience. Having those games at home is going to be very beneficial for them. Um, and then having and then their road games are very winnable this year. They go to Minnesota, to Illinois, to Nebraska, all teams that we have below them on this list. Their one game, obviously, on the road that everybody's circling is the one against Ohio State. But I think if they could get over the hurdles of Northwestern early in the year, of Michigan earlier in the year, not necessarily saying that they win that game, but if they even lose it close, gaining momentum for this ball club going into that Ohio State game in October could bode well for them. And I could easily see them challenging for the West this year. Um, Jonathan Taylor is an absolute monster. Uh, and of course, Wisconsin has another running back. I swear throughout my entire life, and I'm only 23 years of age, they've had a running back who was on the brink of breaking some type of NCAA record every single season. And that bodes well for them again this season, as along with an offensive line that numbers-wise doesn't look all that great, on the, at least on the right side. We all know Wisconsin's offensive lines are going to come to play. And when you have a good offensive line, when you have a great running back, all of those bode well for having a decent and having a decent quarterback, all of those bode well for you. In, in a conference and in college football. You don't always have to have a great quarterback, but if you can have great pieces around him like they do, and I'm not even talking about A.J. Taylor or Danny Davis, uh, two really good receivers for them, Wisconsin is going to surprise some people. I have faith in Wisconsin this year. I hope my faith doesn't end up biting me in the butt. Yeah, I mean, uh, Wisconsin, be, be, better than uh, better than expected, I, I think we'll see from them this year. But uh, Michigan State, Nick, you've got them at five. Uh, we're moving into a top 25 team here, 22 among FBS. And really the strength of this team comes from the defense. Uh, and uh, it has for a while. They've uh, been really good on defense. They have a high-rated defense this season. 
just not a ton on offense. So tell me what you think about Michigan State this year. Well, uh, I, I sound like a bit of a broken record. Uh, Michigan State reminds me a lot of Northwestern. They remind me a lot of Wisconsin. Uh, we haven't gotten to Iowa yet, but they remind me of Iowa as well. Uh, all those teams are just a pain in the ass to play. They're physical. They grind you down, try to wear you down, and 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 they just you just don't like to play them, like the the Indiana quote earlier. Uh, So they're like those teams in many ways. They're consistent in what they do. They've got a bit of a stuffy reputation, but uh, Mark D'Antonio is willing to throw in some trick plays, uh, is is willing to mix it up, you know, some fake punts and and things like that. Uh, But uh, being where they are in uh, in Michigan is a little more of a uh, talent uh, hotbed than than the Western teams that we've been talking about. So they are more athletic at the skill positions, um, and uh, so they they are able to do a little bit more. But they're also in the East, so they play a tougher schedule week in and week out. You hit it right on the head. This team's led by the defense. They've got three 100-rated players in VGR Plus on defense. Uh, Only two teams in the country have more than three defenders with a 100 rating. That's LSU and Miami. So uh, we're talking about some elite talent uh, and just very productive players on the defense. Two of them on the defensive line. So this is the top 15 unit in the country because uh, Kenny uh, Wilkes, probably screwed that up uh, and Raekwon Williams uh, those two are both 100 rated players and they've got a linebacker middle linebacker uh, Joe Bacci who's who's also a 100 player so they've got some elite players um, but uh, this team suffered at the quarterback position last year Brian Lewerke was banged up he was far less productive during his junior season but he started 25 games in the past he's put up some production he's a 95 rated player according to our numbers so is he going to be able to return to form are we going to see more of rocky lombardi and then just sort of the last thing about michigan state they did a weird coaching thing where uh the offense was so bad that they said all right we're gonna uh instead of you know cleaning house and and bringing in a new coordinator mix things up we're just going to give everybody a new job and so that (laughs) that's just sort of strange you know you've got a new play caller the old play caller still on staff the quarterbacks coach is now coaching somebody else they just they just did musical chairs on the offensive coaching staff that's just kind of strange i'm not sure sure how that's going to play out (laughs) exactly so uh intrigued to see uh but if the defense uh continues its quality play michigan state's going to be a pain in the ass for everybody they play they have a chance to beat them what do you think about Michigan State, Xavier? I mean, uh, kind of one of these teams. This is where, you know, Nick mentioned it. And when I say boring, I don't mean, you know, th- these teams are boring to watch. I mean, you get the same consistent stuff, but it, it is always a lot of, uh, you know, you get those cold weather smash mouth games where it's, you know, play, you know, run the ball and play against the run. And that's what these teams all kind of tend to do well because that's what they prepare for. What do you think about uh, uh, Michigan State? Well, you're not wrong. It's also boring to watch. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to hide that fact. <laughs> but Michigan State. We want State, these people I'm, to listen to us again, Xavier. <laughs> I understand this, but the truth hurts sometimes. Uh, Michigan State. I love Michigan State. I'm on the Michigan State hype train. Sparty all the way. I think this team has so much talent, and the numbers prove that as well. My only question mark is Brian Lewerke. 
I wonder what he's going to do this year. He's going to be what separates them from being a good team or a great team. Will he have a similar season to 2017? Will he threw for 20 touchdowns and seven interceptions? Or will he return to his form of last year where he had eight touchdowns and 11 interceptions and his lowest rating in college up to this point? He's going to be the reason why Michigan State either does exactly what we have them doing, which is winning about seven or eight games, or challenges in the East. Michigan State does not have a favorable schedule this year. They play Ohio State on the road. They play Michigan on the road. They play Wisconsin on the road. I don't care. When you have a coach like D'Antonio, he can get players to do things that uh, most players can't. And I like D'Antonio. And I like Michigan State as a whole. So Michigan State train, chugga-chugga-choo-choo down the tracks. You're on the hype train. All right. Uh, Moving up here, uh, number four in the conference, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, 21 overall, and this is a consistent team. You know, Nate Stanley is experienced. It's usually the offensive line. It's usually the run game. Last year, uh, it was Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson were great, and they're both gone now, so that has to be a little bit concerning. Uh, What do you think of the Iowa Hawkeyes here, Nick? So the superlative I gave Iowa was best head coach. Yes, really. So I know that uh, a lot of people have joked about Kirk Ferentz in the past. Uh, The people in Iowa, I think, have always um, had sort of a love-hate relationship with him in the past. But it seems like right now there's a lot of love for Kirk Ferentz and for good reason. He's the highest ranked head coach in our uh, head coach uh, ratings in the Big Ten. He's number 10 in the country. Uh, They've done... Uh, a great job of developing players, finding diamonds in the rough, and uh, just just beating teams that they're not supposed to beat. This shouldn't be the team to beat in the West, but they are, according to our numbers. And our numbers uh, judge teams pretty harshly based on their recruiting rankings because that's the basis of our player rating. So uh, this team is... is uh, Uh, is another team that can beat anybody it plays and it probably shouldn't and a big reason for that is this team is very athletic on the line of scrimmage and iowa is similar to northwestern similar to wisconsin they get offensive linemen they get defensive linemen but iowa does a fantastic job of finding the guys that really can take their game to the next level. They got an all big 10 left tackle, Ehrlich Jackson, their uh, right tackle, Tristan Wirfs is the number one freak on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. He's probably a first round uh, draft pick in the next draft. And they've got a center prospect who wasn't highly rated, but Kirk Ferentz is just raving about Tyler Lindenbaum, who is uh, going to be a uh, redshirt freshman this year. He's only played in two games, but they think he's the next great center at Iowa. So um, that's definitely a, uh, position that they can build upon and then across the line of scrimmage they have arguably the best defensive player in college football um if not if if it's not grant uh delpit at, at lsu it could be aj epinesa um he's going to be a high first round pick he was an elite recruit he was uh in iowa um uh, uh, had a, had a connection, a family connection in the past, if I remember correctly. So they do get those guys every once in a while, but he's only one of two players on the roster that had over a 90 rating coming out of high school. So um, he's a rare 
elite recruit, but he even has taken his game to uh, another level. Um, they've got some promise at the wide receiver position, and they do usually find a good tight end or two, uh, but they need McKee Sargent to rise to the occasion at the running back position, and they probably need a little bit more out of Nate, Nate Stanley than they got last year. What about you, Xavier, with Iowa? I mean, uh, you know, a fun, fun team to watch. Uh, I'm not sure how exciting once again, but um, this team could, uh, you know, play upset at least in this conference this year. Absolutely. And Nick said what he expects Nate, Nate Stanley to give him more. He's going to give you more. I love Nate Stanley. He has had nothing but progression since his first full year starting in 2017, where he threw for 2,400 yards. Last year, he threw for 2,800 yards. 26 touchdowns each year um, and 10 or less interceptions each year. And he's probably going to give you similar production to that this year, um, if not more. And if more means 3,000 yards, then so be it. Nate, Iowa is the favorite in the West because they're the best team in the West. I think that's not up for debate. When you look at Iowa, like you said, A.J. Epineza is amazing. And this team as a whole is going to play to their strengths. They're not going to try to wow you with anything crazy. Like we've talked about with pretty much every team on this list in the Big Ten. They're going to play to their strengths, which are offensive line. They're going to run the football. Their running backs are going to have to step up. But running backs tend to look really good when you have an offensive line in front of them that has three 88-plus rated players on them as well. That offensive line is going to be the calling card for this team. They're going to be the bell cows for this team, which isn't abnormal for an Iowa team. And they really were put on my map last year after beating a Mississippi State team and and uh, out physically out physicaling them, which is not a word in that in that bowl game. Um, you know when, when you when you That's see a football a big word. Team, exactly. That's a coach <laughs> word. When you see a big team team or any SEC team get out physicaled, once again, not a word. It puts them on a radar for them. So I really like Iowa. What about Penn State? We got them at number three in this conference, Nick, 18 overall. It's always been a talented roster since James Franklin has come into town. Uh, you know, they seem to be knocking on the door now with McSorley graduating, Saquon gone. It seems like they're going to take a step back, but um, the roster, while it did take a huge drop and the biggest drop in the Big Ten uh, due to transfers and graduations and things of that nature, it's still really good. So they should be a top three team, but it feels like I I don't have as much confidence in Penn State as I have the last uh, two or three seasons. How about you? Absolutely. My superlative for Penn State was most outgoing. Do, do you get it? Because <laughs> yes. of all the transfers? Yes. Yeah, okay. All right, so, so <laughs> Penn State lost 18 players uh, to transfer, 18 and counting from last year uh, by, by my count. Could be closer to 20. So this team lost 2.9 points in roster strength, which puts them 124th in the country and last in the Big Ten. They also lost five players early to the NFL draft, and they had eight players drafted. So it should, shouldn't should be a surprise to anybody that this team has seen more turnover uh, than just about anybody in the country, and, and that's going to hurt. But James Franklin, I think, doesn't get the credit that he deserves. 
the turnaround he did at Vanderbilt was absolutely remarkable. If you pay attention to the SEC, you should know winning nine games at Vanderbilt is unprecedented. He did it twice. He's always got Penn State in the mix in the East, which is arguably the toughest division in college football. Uh, he's number 26 in our head coach rating in the country, number four in the Big Ten. I think that might even be a little low. He's done a, a really good job uh, getting this team ready to play, and uh, they've, they've really done pretty well uh, during his tenure. He's also raised the talent level. This team ranks number 13 in the country in average 247 sports rating. So they've got that fringe top 10 pure talent. But again, because uh, they lost so much, they're going to be relying on a lot of very young players. They're only 22nd in roster strength. So when we take that 247 rating, adjust it for experience and career production, it falls a bit. But Defensively, they've got 300-rated players, same as Michigan State. Only two teams in the country have more. And actually, that doesn't even include Micah Parsons. He just hasn't played enough yet to put up enough uh, production points. He might be the best player on the team, uh, but the rest of that 2018 recruiting class is going to need to step up if this team's going to compete uh, for a Big Ten title. Specifically, I'm looking at Ricky Slade, the running back, and Justin Shorter at wide receiver, two very highly rated players that didn't do a whole lot as true freshmen, and they're going to have a lot bigger roles this year. Franklin needs those guys to step up. Penn State, Xavier, I mean, what do you think? Uh, are they uh, they going to take a dip this have... year? Yeah, absolutely. You lose that much talent in two years, there's no way you continue to play the level that you've been playing. And here's my issue with Penn State, and I'm going to make this short and sweet. When you had all that talent, you couldn't get it done, and you couldn't win a Big Ten title. Now that talent is gone, offensively at least. Now that talent is gone. So I definitely don't expect them to challenge for a Big Ten title. Now, I'm not saying they're going to be a, a, a cakewalk. That defense is still stacked, as Nick alluded to. But when you don't have an offense that can, at, at the least bit, you know, pick up the defense when they're having a rough quarter or when they're having a rough half, you're going to be in trouble. And they play on the best side of the division. And I, I just, I'm, I'm not on the Penn State vibe this year. The Penn State, for me, is a team that's not going to, produce the same win total that they have and they're definitely definitely not going to challenge for a big time all right how about the best rivalry in all of football nick and we can put these two teams together because they're just forever linked uh number two michigan <laughs> is uh is number two they're number 10 overall um you know uh we we're expecting a lot of changes on offense, hopefully to open it up more, because until they do this, you know, as our buddy John Lobb calls it, a Neanderthal offense, it's just not going to get it done. So uh, and that's the biggest question. And then uh, Ohio State, number one, they're number five overall, always have elite talent. They got a lot to replace. Haskins is gone. Paris Campbell's gone. Weber's gone. Uh, you know, Nick Bosa is gone. But they keep replacing these guys. We got them both favored in eleven games. Uh, you know, Michigan eight point seven win probability, nine point six for Ohio State. Just great numbers for both these teams, uh, and they're probably going to be fighting it out for this conference. And uh, what do you think of Michigan and Ohio State? Well. Starting with Ohio State, their superlative was most talented. I mean, this team ranks number two 
in the country in both roster strength and 247 sports rating average. So the only team that they would face that would have a more talented team player for player is Alabama. So that is why they are ranked number six uh, in our team strength ratings. However, for Michigan, their superlative one is most to prove. Obviously, Jim Harbaugh needs to uh, get over the hump. If not now, when? But second superlative, most likely to succeed. Because Michigan uh, hosts Ohio State at the big house in the regular season finale, uh, they get that home field advantage bump, and they have a talented enough roster. Harbaugh is a top 25 coach, according to our metrics. Uh, They are a top 20 team in pure talent, but even though they lost 2.45 points in roster strength. They are number nine in the country in roster strength. So this is a very talented team. They're not far off player for player uh, from a talent standpoint is Ohio State. They get 3.8 points in our projection for home field advantage. So we actually project the Wolverines to beat Ohio State, which is unheard of for people in Buckeye Nation. I understand. Uh, But that's that's just sort of what the numbers are telling us at this point. So we actually have Michigan winning the East, but five spots back in the rankings. And, uh, you know, anything can change. Uh, we might have a completely different projection by the time these two teams actually meet on the field. But right now we give Michigan the edge uh, because of that home field advantage. But Ohio State on paper is the better team right now. It's just a matter of whether or not Ryan Day and Justin Fields can uh, fulfill both of their uh, huge potential uh, to keep this team on top. Xavier, Michigan State and Ohio State, big rivalry. Any chance Michigan can uh, jump over Ohio State this year? No. No. (laughs) I'm going to be short and sweet. No. I don't care if they're playing them in the big house. They did two years ago, and they lost that game too. Michigan – their superlative for me was prove it to me. They've got all the talent. They've got the names. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Shea Patterson, and obviously they have the coach. But will they take that step and beat the team that they're supposed to? That means Michigan State. That means Ohio State. And as you clearly heard me say earlier, I'm on the Michigan State hype train. So I don't think Michigan is even going to beat them this year. Yeah, I said it. I'm going out on a limb here. Michigan's going to lose to Michigan State, and they're going to lose to Ohio State. It's going to be another bad year for Harbaugh, but because he has 10 wins, nobody's going to really be all that mad at him. However, if I was a Michigan fan, I would be very upset. There's a reason why the odds in Vegas have Ohio State at plus 125 and Michigan at plus 215. Ohio State's the better team. Point blank, plain and simple. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, Nick, is it a uh, ACC next week? Ooh. ACC next week. Yes. Uh, then we'll be doing the uh, group of five as a whole the following week. And then we'll be getting ready for uh, our playoff projections and our uh, week zero uh, predictions the following week. So it's it's going to be here before you know it. Getting really close to time. Uh, and why don't you tell everybody about the CFB Winning Edge Patreon? You can support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash Edge. We've got three tiers for our patrons. Uh, you get a ton of information, access to our private Google Sheets, which include daily updated depth charts. Uh, we've got, for Tier 2 members, our team profiles, which gives you all the information we've been talking about, the player 
ratings, the head coach ratings, the change in roster strength, all our power rankings. Uh, we just did an update. So tomorrow, uh, all of our patrons will see our new 1 through 130 rankings and uh, sign up for Tier 2 specifically and uh, get access to all those great rankings and ratings and uh, see how all the teams stack up. And you can find us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. All right, right.